Well, it's a great privilege and treat to be with Richard Bogonen, the originator of the Word One-to-One programme, uh, a programme which is enabling people in the pews to take the gospel to friends. Now, Richard, how long have you been a believer yourself? Uh, I was converted at the age of 15 uh, in a really Bible-centric church in Manuel Northwood. Northwood, no. Yeah. And that is in London? It is, northwest London. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Great big youth group, 200 kids in the ages of 14 to 20, which I thought was a great idea. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, so from London originally? Yes, from Harrow on the Hill. Now, all the peop- of all the people we've interviewed, I wonder how many are actually from London. And have you always worked in London? Yes, my father did 60 years at Lloyd's of London, and I am just about to complete 43 years at Lloyd's of London. And my daughter has already done 10 years at Lloyd's of London, so we're a Lloyd's of London family. Fantastic. Have you got the tattoos? (laughs) If you cut me in half, I'm like a stick of rock. I say Lloyd's all the way through. (laughs) So... Did you do a theological degree, Richard? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went. I actually turned down university. I had a university place, but uh, Lloyd's was at a stage in 1974. It was trying to expand, and I got. It was ridiculous. I got nine job offers in a day. I felt like a professional football player <laughs> because the market was desperate to expand, and from those, uh, I met one man in particular. And when I met him, it was like 20 tonnes fell on me. I knew I should work for this chap, mm. uh, who was a friend of my father's. But uh, it was just, I just knew. And it was a great relationship that oh. got me into the market. Now, had you always been evangelistic in your career? Um, I, since I was converted, um, yes, really, in that uh, I was in a Christian rock group for five years, rock choir, actually, called Jesus Is. Uh, and then I used to do chat shows uh, when people were having their lunch that uh, I would be on the stage interviewing someone who was a leading Christian of some description. But then, you know, life crowded in and uh, we got married and uh, my career took off, etc. And uh, frankly, I was very much into being involved in Christian charity, but I wasn't directly involved myself. evangelism I was supporting those that were Mm. uh, until 10 years ago wow that's extraordinary now you're doing the word one-to-one now was that your idea Uh, it was because I saw the word work Um, 10 years ago uh, I frankly like most Christians in the pews today thought that evangelism was done by professionals that our job was simply to get our friends to go on some kind of course So, you know, you invited your friend to go on an Alpha course, you invited your friend to go on a Christianity Explore course, and then, frankly, you handed your friend over to the person running the course. You know, my job's done, they're over to you. And I arranged for a very senior insurance executive from Europe uh, to have dinner with Professor John Lennox. And I thought, that's my job done. You know, I mean, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to watch evangelism occur in front of me, I've got Professor John Lennox, knows the Bible backwards on one side and one of Europe's most powerful insurance execs on the other. What could possibly happen except that my friend would be converted? Well, I actually sat through two three-and-a-half-hour dinners, which were like a mismatch finals at Wimbledon. Because on one side, my friend intellectually loved firing questions at John and... John aced the ball back over the net every time with a biblical answer. 
But the problem was my friend didn't understand the Bible. He, he was biblically ignorant. Mm. So he intellectually enjoyed the debate, but he just fired another question when he didn't understand the answer. Mm. And this went on for t- two dinners, seven hours. And, of course, I've been praying that, that these um, uh, meetings would occur. But I found myself at the end of seven hours effectively running up the white flag and said, um, thanks, guys, but I really do not want to do another one of these. What, you said it? I said it. And my non-Christian friend said, why? He said, I love it when you bring John down from Oxford University. And I said, no, for the first time in your life, I've found a subject you know nothing about. You are biblically ignorant. And I can't see any point in having another one of these dinners unless actually, and I was this vague, Unless, actually, we asked John to come back and, quote, open the Bible for you. I was that vague. Well, Lennox very kindly agreed to come back. And when he came back, we sat down and John Lennox brought John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18. And it was an extraordinary event. It was an event that I will never forget because it started off, in the beginning was the word. And my non-Christian friend, well, we don't really believe there was a beginning, do you? Said uh, yeah. Richard Dawkins doesn't believe there was a beginning. And then we got to verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. And, and he said, well, hang on a minute. You're trying to tell me that God is a person. I thought God was an amorphous mass. And then we got to verse 3. Through him all things were made. And, you know, I think most people actually do think if there's one book that's probably got answers in life, it's the Bible. And here we were, by verse 3, he was gaining answers. Through him, all things were made. Now, it's an outrageous claim. Mm. But he literally mumbled something over verse (sighs) 3. And when we hit verse 4, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind, metaphorically, his jaw hit the table, and it stayed there the rest of the night. Now, I've got to tell you, his nickname in the industry was Golden Tonsils. And I saw golden tonsils, tonsils fuse. And he sat there absorbing verse after verse as John Lennox took him through what the claims were of Christ through the book of John. Blindingly obvious, it was not the good professor. Mm. It was the word. Wow. So I found myself after, um, after that evening rushing back to William Taylor, who runs St. Helens Church Bishopsgate, my minister, and said, William, you know full well that I have never taught the Bible. I'm involved in all of this charity work um, behind Christian ministry, but I have never taught the Bible. Will you please teach me to teach John? And John Lennox. No, the book of John. Oh, and, um, and so uh, William started to teach me uh, the book of John uh, verse by verse. Couldn't understand why I was taking notes. And I had to say to him, I said, well, William, for a start, as you know, I'm chairman of a Lloyd's Broking House. I'm going to be in 15 meetings today. If you think I'm going to remember what you're saying without having written something down, you're wrong. Mm-hmm. The second thing is the other meetings will all have a contract or I'll be, uh, I'll be given an agenda or there'll be an itinerary to look at or there'll be, there'll be a proposal. It'll all be in writing and I'll have a copy and everybody else will have a copy. And if I am going to take the word to my friends... I want whatever I've got on my side of the table for them to have. So we started very quickly to learn to actually take the passages, put them into an A4 memo initially with the notes that went with the verses Mm. alongside it. Mm. 
And what happened was that as soon as I started to offer to my friends, look, haven't you always thought one day you'd have a look at the Bible? Mm. I mean, it sold more copies than any other book in the history of printing. Haven't you always thought to yourself one day you'd have a look? You'd probably say it's got some good stuff in it. Well, I've got these great notes that take just one book. It happens to be a book which starts with what I call in the city an executive summary. Everywhere else I'd call it an overview. But John 1, 1 to 18 is unique. There isn't another passage like it. Mm -hmm. As soon as I started to offer that, the take-up was spectacular. I was getting uh, something like 70% of the people I asked said yes. They'd wow. have a look. And the statistics 10 years later are staggering. I would say that from what we now know, one in five of the people offered a chance to look at these notes will say yes. Mm -hmm. Of that, by the way, I'm always wrong as to why someone says yes. It, it will be because God's prepared their heart in some way. <laughs> but I'll come back to that later. One in five will say yes. In my ministry, I've been at this now 10 years, I've had only 10 people who, having looked at the first study, John 1, 1 to 18, haven't wanted to meet again. And then having got past the first study, I've only now had six who haven't actually made it all the way through John. Mm. And frankly, that's like the parable of the sower. I mean, mm, they, right. there's been a, you know, they were initially really excited and then their diaries just crowded them out. Uh, one man got to the end of chapter 6 where uh, Jesus had some of the disciples turned their backs on him because he would not be the political messiah that they wanted. Mm. And I had one friend who basically said, look, he's not going to be what I wanted him to be and stopped. Wow. Um, Was that guy from a particular persuasion? No, no, not at all. Mm -hmm. I think he just had never looked. And when he was looking, he, his mindset was, this is going to be an interference in what I want to do. Wow. And then another so man got to the story of Lazarus and finished the story of Lazarus and said, you know, there's just no undoing this knowledge. Mm. Now, that doesn't make you a Christian, mm. but it does mean that the evidence is just overwhelming. Mm. He took a break. But he came back three months later and he's finished the gospel. Gracious me. So the gospel is, is extraordinary. It is exactly what we've always known it to be. It does not go out empty. Mm, mm. Um, now, and by the way, whilst the global average is one in five, there are many of us in the city who are, are getting a much higher acceptance ratio mm -hmm. when we offer. Because mm -hmm. um, it seems in particular, I found among senior men, they really know they haven't found life's answers. Wow. Yeah. There's three things that we've discovered over time. When I first started, a lot of men said to me, you know, prior to 9-11, I used to think all roads led to the same God. But post 9-11, I know a lot more about what the um, God of Islam is supposed to be. And I don't believe in him, Richard. So therefore, there was a crack in their thinking as to what was it that they were believing in. And they suddenly realized that perhaps all roads didn't lead to the same God. So that was an opening. Then that was replaced quite quickly with, I'm not at peace. Mm. And by this, I mean, it was a phrase that we heard globally, because um, mm. these notes have gone global since we printed them. And it, it could be either way. It could be that you've been very, very successful. You've got the job that you always wanted. You finally let your, your, you met your uh, life partner in the city, often after many divorces. Wow. Um, you, you have got the toys in the garage. And you know what? 
they're not what you thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Or, of course, you've never let, met your life partner mm-hmm. or you never got the job you hoped for or your health has never been what you always wanted it to be. And life has not gone well mm-hmm. and you are not at peace. Mm-hmm. The same. It's exactly the same. Wow. And then more, most recently, and I would say most recently, as in the last two to three years, particularly the last two years, I do not feel secure. Wow. Now, that might be in an age of ISIS. It might be um, in Britain. Um, I'm worried about Brexit. Mm-hmm. It might be uh, globally today, Trumpism. Mm-hmm. It may well be, I don't feel secure going home on the bus. It may well be, uh, in particular today, I have noticed, the fidelity of relationships is wow. now so shot, Amen. I do not feel secure. Mm. Um, so there's many, many reasons, but people are, that's the phrase they use most, is I don't feel secure. Now that doesn't mean they're looking to Christ. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean they're thinking about going to church, because the biblical ignorance is so great, why would they be thinking? Mm. Which is why taking the gospel outside of the church via every member of the congregation in a format that is socially accessible Mm. and acceptable, Mm. that is so important. And it's clearly why the word one-to-one has worked so well. And does it on, do pastors only take courses in this, or is it something which people, regular people in the church, can use? Oh no, this is. Uh, let me show you for, just for a start. What it does is it reverses what we would normally do in church. So at the end of what we call episodes, because frankly, this is very quickly the equivalent of a box set. People do not know what is in the gospel, so they don't know what's going to come in the next episode. So what we do is we put at the end of each episode the reading that we would have had in church. So at the end of episode one is the whole of John 1, 1 to 18. Now, why is it at the end? It's at the end because today, in biblical ignorance terms, most of my friends would have glazed over by line two or three. Right. Because they wouldn't understand it. Okay. So what the books do in a format where every single page is coloured denim blue, mm-hmm. because you can be a prince or a prisoner and you feel comfortable in your jeans. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing is about being comfortable. It takes often just one verse and it has some notes or questions next to that verse which help you understand that verse. So by the time you get to the end of the episode, you can now add all the verses up and read it with understanding. Gosh, and so it's very, very accessible. Right. And no booklet is, it's broken down into little booklets. We don't care how many booklets there were. Actually, for the whole of the, of the book of John, there are 11 booklets. Mm-hmm. You've got a booklet, your friend's got a booklet, and you're on a level playing field. Mm. It's not you're holding your Bible. Ah where you're flipping your Bible backwards and forwards, which mm. is frankly showing that you know it, mm-hmm. but makes them realise immediately that they, you've just proven to them they haven't got a clue what mm. that book's about. Mm-hmm. So, yes. You know, when you say today, well, of course, in, in Isaiah, well, they don't know if Isaiah's a bird or a plane. <laughs> they don't know there's an Old Testament or a New Testament. Right. So is it accessible to everyone? Absolutely. Mm. Would you like some stories that prove that? Oh, yeah, far away. Let's, let's, do, let's start um, at the top of the age range. And I was in Australia recently, and um, a woman came up to me and said, I must tell you about my 93-year-old mother. She's now stuck at home, and she needs carers every day. If she gets a new carer, she takes your first booklet of the word one-to-one, and in a weak voice, she says to the carer, Excuse me, dear, please could you read this to me? (laughs) 
<laughs> She's Brilliant. currently got a Thai Buddhist nurse absolutely hooked on what happens in the Gospel of John because the woman had no idea what it said. Mm. So there's a 93-year-old evangelist who's stuck at home with a carer. That's the obvious evangelist model, I would say, the 93-year-old gold. Well, let's come down an age. Um, <laughs> if you're 78 and a widow, even in the church, the tendency can be, I'm afraid, that you've been a bit written off. I'm afraid so. So one woman said to me, she said, uh, I was asked by a woman in the church, could I please come and meet her mother because her mother was now stuck at home and she was 90. So this 78-year-old widow thought, well, shall I take chocolates? Shall I take flowers? And she walked past the church bookstall and she saw the word one-to-one. And she thought, no, I'll take that. Let's give that a go. Well, the 90-year-old knew she had not been saved. She knew she was not at peace. She, here she was at 90 and she did not have life's answers. Mm. So she voraciously, albeit slowly, went through John's Gospel with the 78-year-old widow. Wonderful. And the reason I tell the story is the 78-year-old widow now thinks she's the new Billy Graham. There you go. I have an 89-year-old uh, in Hove who was doing seven one-to-ones at the age of 89. Oh, wow. But that's not... That's just the... Ret- I mean, retired people adore this because they know that their friends are not at peace, they've got time for a coffee, and all this is is simply saying, listen, haven't you always said to yourself one day, uh-huh. you'd have a look at the Bible? Right, yes. Now it's in a format you can easily share. I love the humility implicit in that. that haven't you always thought you'd look at... It doesn't... You're not starting from the perspective of, I know this great... I am the expert. Yeah. Shall we look at this together? I read a fascinating essay by someone who had C.S. Lewis as their tutor at, mm. at Oxford. Mm. And what they said was sitting down with Lewis, it wasn't as though Lewis knew everything. Mm. Instead, it was as though they both together tried to make sense of the text. And I thought that was a, a very interesting picture of this because it sounds, from what you're saying, like it isn't just the non-believer who is learning from this, but the believer is learning from your oh, own experience. If you that. want your Christian faith to set fire, right. share the gospel. <laughs> I... I um, I tell you, I look back now and I was like a Tesla Christian. I, I, I made it to church, begged you to pull the drawbridge up behind me. And then I was basically saying, quick, plug me into the spiritual mains. I've only just made it back to the charging right, station. Right. My expectation was that I was drain out every week mm. away from church. Mm-hmm. I don't do that now. Right. Because I now... Uh, every time I open the gospel, I see the living power of the word at work. Mm. It is visibly clear that the spirit is active in front of my eyes. Wow. So now I come back That's to thrilling. I come back to church now, and I'm getting hold of my minister by both lapels and saying, "Teach me more." <laughs> I'm coming back now, wanting to worship more. Oh, bless God! So it, it transforms the life of the Christian, and and that's why it's so important that we get uh, ministers and, uh, to understand they should be sharing the burden of evangelism rather than feeling the burden of evangelism is all on their shoulders. Mm. And why we've got to get folks in the church to realise we've been saying for years, let's take the gospel to our friends. The truth is, we didn't know how. Mm. Yeah, well, this is it. This and is I, it. at 51, 10 years ago, had been a Christian from the age of 15, if you'd have handed me a Bible and said, lead someone to Christ, I would have told you I didn't know how. Mm. The word one-to-one puts the gospel into a format, which is the how. Mm. Because I can follow it the same as my non-Christian friend can follow it. Mm. I don't have to have done a course. I don't need to have learnt up. 
I say this, they say that type of mechanism. Right. It's just the gospel. Wow. With notes. I love it. That's Good fantastic. notes. That's it. You know, that's how originally, um, similarly, uh, the Josh McDowell book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict, was literally his notes. Yeah. And he just put it out there, and that's become <laughs> that's become the, the go-to for the apologist. I lately heard um, N.T. Wright making the point. It was so simple, and I thought, I haven't forgotten it since. You know, it's uh, it's got something in it when that happens. But... Um, he said, we are not promised just that streams of living water will flow into us, but from you will flow streams of living water. Now, of course, churches in this city, churches around the world, are full of oxbow lakes, people into whom water has flown and has become stagnant. What was the Lord teaching us by manna which went off the next day? Mm. It does seem to be the case that when we have living life poured into us, that the most appropriate thing would let's see the multiplication, let's see the life pouring out from us. Well, let's give a let me give you a classic story from my circle. So I'm now uh, 61. I am dealing in an industry that I've been in for 43 years. I've got lots of senior contacts, uh, and let me give you a, a, a classic story from my own ministry. Um, one man came to see me. He'd been at a dinner where I'd spoken, and he said, "Before we start, Richard, looking at your notes." would you please tell me what faith means to you? And I naturally sat back in the chair and simply said, well, listen, through nothing that I have done, all through Christ and the mm. cross of Christ, I have been made right with my maker. I've got a peace that passes all understanding for eternity. Mm. He, he leant forward in his chair and said, you have no idea what you've just said. He said, my father... Uh, was an alcoholic and every single Christmas he would be drunk before we sat down at the Christmas table. I'd have to go back to school and they'd say did you have a good Christmas and I'd say yeah it was fine but the truth was my father was drunk every Christmas and then I got to be a, te a teenager and I discovered I got the same weakness and he said I'm now in my 40s um, the world looks at me as being really successful and I have never been at peace and you're telling me these little booklets will bring me a peace that bring, that passes all understanding when do we start wow. now it. that's the truth yeah. behind people's lives so the world sees people as outwardly whatever it sees them mm -hmm. but inside so often i discover people who are simply not at peace mm, that's so true and i've had so many stories like that yeah. men who've been extraordinarily successful in the world's eyes who just do not know any sense of peace or assurance. Mm, mm. And what the simplicity of the thing is you are taking them the word. You're not taking them my own uh, abilities. You're taking them, look, this is, what, this is what Jesus has done. I think Keller is very helpful when he points out that um, most unbelievers presume that we are preaching Pharisaism. They think we're going to tell them to behave themselves mm. rather than telling them we haven't behaved ourselves and Christ knows that. And it's because of it, that because of his love, that he has come to take the wrath so, so that we can be saved. It's wonderful to be able to unpack that with unbelievers. Now, at Christian Heritage London, we are especially interested in the extraordinary breakthroughs of the gospel in this city. And what's thrilling is again and again we're finding, um, as we look into the lives of these great heroes, that we have this prioritisation of dealing with individuals, the letters of John Newton, the care of Wilberforce for individuals, the, the unknown little acts of love done by some of these great massive preachers for individuals who didn't know about it until 
the guy had died, and so on. These kinds of things show something of a prioritization for individuals. Now, interestingly, as we look at what the London church has contributed in this generation, mm. we're finding courses which are done around the table. Mm. And we're looking at things like Christianity Explored, Alpha, and now this, another course which is done where people sit down one-to-one -one with people. It's fascinating to me because it's interesting that people like, shall we say people, like John Newton, William Wilberforce, and Jesus Christ, mm. seem to focus on working one-to-one -one with people. You rarely find any of those stories in the Gospels where, and the individual came up to Jesus and he said, uh, could you deal with this, guys? Mm. He spoke to them. Yeah, Apparently. I mean, look at the growth of the church in Acts, mm. and you will see it clearly was word-based. Mm -hmm. It clearly was word-based. And that's all that's happening now. And I find it fascinating that I am always wrong as to why someone says yes. There's that's always a reason that, is that I can't see. Um, do you that's want a classic great. story? Oh, fine. Um, so a, a year after I'd been meeting with one man, he said to me, I never told you why I agreed to do this, did I? He said, I said, no, you didn't. A year in. A year in. And he said, well, my father died when I was 15. I watched my father die slowly of cancer. But my father, who worked for a Christian charity, um, radiated, as his body decayed, he radiated a peace that passed all understanding. And the truth is that for 35 years, I've been angry at God for taking my father away from me. But... I've known equally all that time that my father clearly was at one with his maker. And by you now showing me John's gospel, I now understand what my father had, that peace that passes all understanding. Good. I understand my father wasn't afraid of dying because he had eternity. Mm. Now that's classic. I had no clue for a year. Yeah, Not a year. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I can tell you, I could literally sit here all day now, 10 years in, and tell you stories like that from around the world. Mm. It's just, I'm, I'm always wrong. It's always that the yeah. Lord is doing something that I can't see. So what does that tell us? Well, it tells us actually, be a fool for the Lord. Just go out and offer mm. and see what the Lord will pick up and if people say no to you don't worry about it so yes. if the global no. average is one in five that means it's perfectly fine that four times out of five people are going to say no to you don't mm. worry about mm. it mm. now equally i've got to say to you that in my own ministry i'm doing about 21 to once at the moment in the insurance industry and um of my 25 were men who came back to me after having initially said no sure. so i'll give you two really quick stories mm. Mm. One man, two years after I'd first asked him, sent me a one-line email that simply said, the time has come for me to do the notes. Oh, wow. And um, in, in doing that, I went to his office. And I said, where, where did that come from? And he said, <laughs> he said, I was in the gym on the uh, treadmill and I realised I was on the treadmill of my life and I hadn't got a clue where I was going. And I thought, the time has come. You really should try and get some answers. Or another man, three times I'd asked him to do the notes, once a year for three years. I bought him lunch and I offered him the chance to do the notes. And the last time he'd said to me, no, Richard, he said, I think it's great what you're doing. I admire it enormously. It's just not for me. I then walked into his office one Monday morning into a meeting that uh, was a lot of people and he walked in behind me. And he went, you were right, I was wrong, I need to see you. So... 
at the end of the meeting, and he turned to everybody and said, oh, Richard offered me something that I didn't think I needed. Um, and I was wrong. And at the end of the meeting, he came up to me and said, Richard, yesterday I was gardening. And uh, as I was gardening, I realised, I was literally on my hands and knees weeding. And I thought, you've lost two friends to cancer, one friend to a brain aneurysm, and one friend to a heart attack in a year. And you have no idea what you believe. You probably should see Richard and actually take a look at what God. the Word has to say. Wow, the mercy of God. Yeah, so it's all the Lord. Yeah. So it's, it's not about you, <laughs> which, of course, is a huge blessing because when you then sit down with someone, your knees are knocking, but you know what? It's not going to be what you say. Oh, wow. They never remember what I say. It's a huge relief. They remember, they're fixated on what the Word says. Mm. So you get to a verse like John 1, verse 12, where I'm, he's giving me the right to be adopted into his family. Mm. And if you're in the city, you suddenly realize, my goodness me, this is the king of all kings. You know, mm. if, if the queen got hold of you and said, Ben Virgo, um, you've done nothing to deserve this, but I have decided to make you Prince Ben. Mm -hmm. You are now in the royal family, and here's the keys to all the palaces, and here's all the bank accounts. That is nothing in relation to John 1, 12, oh, wow. where the king of the universe says, Ben Virgo, you are adopted into my family. Oh, wow. And when you realise that in the city, how important is your bonus now? Mm. You know, my family and I went on a holiday once to the island of Corfu, and the children were small. And when we got to this little villa that we'd rented, there was no toaster and there was no kettle. So we went out and we bought a really cheap toaster and a really cheap kettle. Now, do you seriously think that I tried to squeeze a really cheap toaster and a really cheap kettle into my suitcase at the end of the holiday? No, mm -hmm. because when I got home, there would be a really good toaster and a really good kettle. Well, I've worked out that's what heaven's going to be like. All right. I can't take it with me. Mm -hmm. So to many men in the city, I'm saying... How big a grave are you digging? Mm -hmm. are, you, are you an Egyptian mm -hmm. where you're trying to take the car and the house mm. and everything around you? Because I tell you, that doesn't end well. Mm. You'll end up being robbed on yeah. the way. Yeah. The truth is we have been adopted by a heavenly father mm. who's got a palace for us. Oh, we are in his family for eternity. Amen. Amen. Now, Richard, at Christian Heritage London, we love to tell the stories of these uh, great saints. Uh, is there someone in uh, London's church history who's been uh, influential or heroic or an example to you who you'd like to tell us of? Yes, absolutely. And he's still, at the time of recording, still alive. Um, I would tell you about Dick Lucas, who um, got going at St. Helens Bishop's Gate in the 60s, having been invited by 12 city businessmen to take over a dead city church. And... The, the why is, is Dick my hero? Because Dick worked out it was all about sharing the word. So for a 20-minute talk on a Tuesday lunchtime, Dick's rule was to spend no less than 20 hours in preparation. So an hour for every minute he talked. And what was he talking? All he did was to take the Bible apart verse by verse. Mm. The word did the rest. Wow. And that absolute mindset of the clarity of it's not about us, it's all about the word, is crucial. Mm. I met Billy Graham when I was only 20, 
And um, I was introduced to him by uh, a, a mutual friend of ours, Richard Buse, who I was at the time uh, assisting with something. And Billy, totally on his own, um, away from any cameras, said to me, Richard, don't make the same mistake I made when I first started in ministry. He said, I didn't know my Bible well enough. It's all about the word. Mm. Now, there's this huge evangelist who's been used massively. What's his lesson? It's all about the word. It's not about the oratory. Mm. It's all about the word. And, wow. and uh, Dick has proven with his ministry in the city of London, it's all about the word. Amen. Yes, it's wonderful. Yeah, there's a legacy, there's a heritage there. Extraordinarily enough, St. Helens Bishop's Gate, I'd say, is about half a mile from St. Paul's, where the first Bibles translated from Greek into English, mm. having been smuggled in from Belgium, translated by Tyndale, were burned. Mm. So the air, half a mile from where Dick stood, or stands, is... Uh, was once filled with the first English Bibles. I see Dick still regularly, and Dick loves the stories that I've shared with you today because what Dick says now, he says, Richard, this is of the moment. Because in his day, he could get vast crowds to come in and sit at uh, the feet of the pulpit to hear the word. If you go back, and I remember this in 1974, uh, if he preached the word on a Tuesday, the church was packed. I mean, people used to sit on the steps at the back of the church. They'd be sitting all the way around the font. It was standing room only at the very back. Yeah. Um, people were socially prepared to go to church. Well, the problem today is that's an anathema. Mm. So it's ever more... Not, I'm not saying change what we do in church. That's brilliant. We, and we, by the way, we still do it at St Helens. Yeah. Um, and we found ever new ways of making that more approachable for people to come in to hear the word of God. But increasingly, the reality of why we should take the gospel to our friends outside of church is because they're not thinking about coming to church. It's a social anathema. Mm. One friend of mine said to me in Australia recently, it was classic, he was parodying, but he's not far off. He said, you want me to go to a building where I know no one? You want me to sit there while they sing and they're singing hymns of praise to someone I know nothing about. You then don't think I'm going to be embarrassed or for the person who is, must be embarrassed as they have to read out loud. Who reads out loud today? Mm -hmm. He said, why, surely that's embarrassing to have to do. And then you quite frankly want me to sit for 30 minutes and listen to a monologue. Mm. Now, he's parodying, but he's showing what a social difference mm. to to where we're at today. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, we do all those things because we've fallen in love with Christ. Mm -hmm. So we love to go to church and sing hymns of praise, and we love to share the Word of God. And and it's uh, it's always extraordinary to me, but when someone gets converted, whereas I I never say to someone, read the notes out loud or read the passage out loud when they're not converted, when they get converted, they automatically decide they want to read the passage out loud. Oh, that's so fascinating. Because they've fallen in love with the Word. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah. And then, of course, I'm quite happy to sit and, and learn more about my Saviour because I love my Saviour. Mm -hmm. But if that's not the case for the normal person, then to take the, to the Gospel in this user-friendly, accessible and acceptable form... Easy English, which is why it's gone global, so that it's in so many countries where English is the second language um, or even a third language, the books have been accessible. Mm -hmm. 
and simply share it over a cup of coffee. Mm, mm, wonderful. Well, Richard, thank you so much for your time, but I think thank you more for this idea, for this project, because I think it's uh, something which is in the slipstream, as Dick says, of what God is doing in our time, because mm. it's working through the church, mm. and it's working through individuals as they share the Saviour with people. So thank you, and you can get it from www. Uh, the word one two one dot com. I'm sorry, that's too hard to remember. <laughs> the word ten, one two well, one it, dot com. Yeah. So, <laughs> so and uh, if not, from ten of those dot com. Ten, what a fine publisher! Publisher of a very helpful book on the Reformation, I hear. Yes, it is. <laughs> and imagine yeah. it was yours. <laughs> Thank you so much, Richard. It's fantastic to have some time with you.